Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. All right, America, I am Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden. And man, things are lit around here. There's protests, riots, all sorts of craziness. I'm literally looking outside the window. I can see down to 7th Avenue and 34th Street. And let me tell you, right now it's kind of calm, but Macy's is entirely boarded up. The entire block boarded up getting ready for what is to come. It's day number seven of America's war on civility. So far, this seven-day war on civility has torched down numerous police departments, destroyed property to the value of millions, injured police officers, and killed several innocent people. There is lawlessness running across large urban areas in America. Now, a little bit later, we're going to hear from the late George Floyd himself in a recording he made, obviously, prior to his tragic death. And then we're going to hear from uh, former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani and some advice that he has for mayors that are facing similar problems right now. But I want to talk about the very cities that have prompted these progressive political policies like no cash bail, like releasing offenders from prison, and then embracing these anarchistic organizations like the anti-fascist group known as Antifa. Yet it's their very own policies that have fueled this issue, both figuratively and literally. Now, does it come as a surprise that not a single Republican mayor is facing problems like these? Where people are out of control, where lawlessness has taken over? Would cities like these be where you want to raise your children? Is that where you want to have your business? Is that where you want your family, your mom, your grandma to go to church? A city like Philadelphia? A city like Minneapolis? A city like New York City, unfortunately? Where people are bashing in windows and torching businesses? Destroying police cars? Setting them on fire? Not realizing that they can't respond to other emergencies if there are no vehicles. Not the protesters, but the thugs are literally destroying communities all over the place. And they are pummeling our idea of a peaceful society. Now, this is only happening in a dozen or so Democrat-run cities throughout the country. Yet their partners in the media are portraying it like it's out of control, like America is under siege. This isn't happening everywhere in America. There's over 150 metropolitan cities in our country. Less than 10% of these, 12, 13 of them, are actually calling in the National Guard because the issues they're facing with riots and looters and arsonists. Yet the screen flashes in between every host or commentator and every commercial break on MSNBC says America in crisis. 
America is not in crisis by their definition. These Democrat cities have put themselves in crisis because they promote lawlessness through their own policy. And then they don't know how to handle it when they get what they've literally been asking for. Where does all of this come from? A lot of people keep pointing to comments made by the late great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., where he says that riots are the language of the unheard. Let me say, as I've always said, and I will always continue to say, that riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. I'm still convinced that non-violence is the most potent weapon available to oppress people in their struggle for freedom and justice. I feel that violence will only create more social problems than they will solve, that in a real sense it is impractical for the Negro to even think of mounting a violent revolution in the United States. So I will continue to condemn riots and continue to say to my brothers and sisters that this is not the way. Continue to affirm that there is another way. But at the same time, it is as necessary for me to be as vigorous in condemning the conditions which cause persons to feel that they must engage in riotous activities as it is for me to condemn riots. I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. What is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. And it has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. The problem with this analogy is that King was speaking in a time where African Americans couldn't even drink from the same water fountain as white people. They couldn't ride the bus unless they rode it in the back of the bus. The idea of a black person ever occupying the White House was a fantasy during that time. That's not the case today. Today we live in a world where we had a black president and he was reelected. We've made so much progress towards equality and to suggest that these riots are the language of the unheard in this day and age would be unfair to all of that progress. Listen, as an American of Puerto Rican heritage, a Hispanic, un Hispano, un Latino, I never want to permanently belong to a class of downtrodden citizens. I don't see myself as downtrodden. So why on earth would I want to belong to that group of oppressed individuals? I'm not oppressed. I am not a victim. To suggest that because of my ancestry, I have to be oppressed or I have to be a victim is utterly asinine. Come on, get out of here with that BS. This is a country where a civil war was fought to destroy slavery right here in America. What other country has taken it to that extreme to legalize liberty for all? 
Of course what happened to George Floyd is an outrage, and people should take to the streets, and the people responsible should be held accountable. And they should do it responsibly and civilly and legally, period. But there's several groups out there that prey on the misfortune of others. While decent people are exercising their constitutional rights to challenge a system with a view that they feel is unfair, lawless thugs from left-wing groups led by white progressives, white liberals, are infiltrating what is an honest movement of people who are outraged and injecting violence into their protest, creating riots. That's not cool. And of course, the retort to that from the, from the left is immediately, no, but these are right-wing um, white supremacist groups. Screw them too. My job is not to sit here and be a special pleader, uh, poster boy for Nazis. Screw the Nazis. Screw the neo-Confederates. I could care less about them. I'm not a white supremacist. Que se vayan topa la mierda. You figure out that one. If it's Antifa or Nazis, birds of a feather in my opinion. Not patriotic. They're troublemakers, rabble-rousers, paid to disrupt and destroy society. To create division in these United States. Now make no mistake, these are extremely well-funded and well-organized groups that have studied exactly how to do this. Groups like Friends of Democracy, back in the days, the Weather Underground, today are Antifa, and they take advantage of other legitimate groups and their outrage so that they can create chaos. All that these anarchists want is anarchy and insurrection. And we can't sit back and let that happen. We simply can't. While I was unfortunately watching MSNBC this morning, but I love to see how the extreme left thinks. I saw a woman named Maya Wiley perpetuating division with every word that she spoke. What I understood from her is that she's incapable of even recognizing what unity is because she lives life through the lens of racism where she's only able to see inequity and ties it into race. It's interesting how I wasn't trained to live life through the lens of racial inequality, so I am not a victim of it. And even if it's happened, that's not the norm. That's not how the system is built. That's not how it works for me or for anybody in my family. And my dad's nickname growing up was El Negro. He's a dark-skinned dude. So I'm not saying there's no racism. I'm just saying it's not in every part of our society. I don't wake up and, and feel downtrodden. People are not stopping me because I'm brown. Anyway, as I was watching MSNBC, Yamish Alcindor went into this whole thing saying that Attorney General Barr was wrong to, to mention Antifa, but not these white nationalist groups. I don't even see any evidence of white nationalist groups, but I'm not going to deny it. Because again, it makes sense. They want to make blacks look bad. They want to destroy. They're terrorists, in my opinion. They are racial terrorists, just like the Antifa thugs are. They're just focused more on anarchy than they are on racism. But everything we're seeing on television is a 100% match for Antifa and their MO. And other similar groups, like I mentioned before, Democracy Partners, which was a pack that turned into another pack, which turned into another pack, originally started by 
George Soros' son. Now, it's funny. I mentioned George Soros not to get you all riled up because, honestly, I don't care. I don't have a fascination with George Soros. I could care less about George Soros. To me, he's one more billionaire that thinks he can change the world, just like Mike Bloomberg, just like uh, Bill Gates, just like so many of these guys that have more money than they need, so they start thinking they can play God and whatever their vision of God is like for them. Uh, We should have less this. We should have more of that. I want to change this. I want to make this more fair. I want to do that. I don't care whose money it is. There are leftists out there and they pay for leftist things. Soros is a famous one. Tom Steyer is another one. Bloomberg is another one trying to grab everybody's guns. What are we going to do? Beat them at their own game. But this is an amateur hour. Ask yourself this. When was the last time you went to a protest? And I'm not sure if you have. But imagine if you were and you were holding up a sign and chanting a slogan for some sort of inequality, some sort of injustice, something that you thought was wrong. You know, let's say the government taking away your liberty, the government saying you can't open your barbershop, the government saying you can't go back to work, and you go there to speak your mind, to raise your voice, and all of a sudden you go, man, this is just not, you know, let me go torch uh, the footlocker. Let me go crash into this thing. Let me go turn a police car upside down. Nobody in their right mind does these things. So to try to conflate the peaceful protesters, which are legitimate, there are tons of people out there holding up signs Because they're upset that this man was killed. And they have every right to be upset. And for us to conflate them and say that they're all Antifa is absolutely wrong. People just don't go to protests and all of a sudden decide, hey, I'm going to set a building on fire. It just doesn't happen ever. The protesters are the protesters and the looters, rioters, and arsonists are the anarchists. Period. And before we move on, and get to the audio of George Floyd in his own words and the analysis that we got from Mayor Rudy Giuliani, I want to read a couple of paragraphs, a couple of sentences from an article I found on the website Marxists.org. And these are communist sympathizers that live by the theory of Marxism and Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. The title of the article is Accommodation to Racism in the Communist Movement. Is communism the property of white, petty, bourgeois intellectuals? Question mark. This is from the Encyclopedia of Anti-Revisionism Online, written by Michael Simmons, first published in a publication known as The Organizer, Volume 7, Number 8, 1981, and was edited by Paul Saba. Again, take note of the date, 1981. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there's a few things that really jumped off the page to me. And I'm bringing it up because I want to show you the correlation between communism and communist sympathizers and what they think and what they think of the African-American community and why we're seeing what we're seeing today in the year 2020. Again, this was 1981, 39 years ago, four decades. Check this out. It starts like this. And I quote, black people are too busy doing their thing to be into communism. After all, aren't they anti-communist anyway, historically, the burden for the racial composition of the communist movement has consistently been put on national minorities. The major assumption being that the communist theory was written for white, petty, bourgeois intellectuals and few, quote, exceptional national minorities. Now, the denial of the consciousness of white chauvinism by white communists creates a context for liquidation of any serious struggle against racism within the ranks of the communist movement. So they come up with a plan. Now, I'm not reading off the page anymore. They came, they came up with a plan to be able to recruit 
more African Americans because at the time they were known as the national minority. The result has been to seek out the most accommodationist-minded national minorities to recruit to the communist movement. On the one hand, and to avoid the most advanced, those who are most critical of racism of white communists, on the other. For national minority revolutionaries, the tendency has been to write off Marxism and Leninism as a white thing, rather than take up the struggle against opportunism in the communist movement. If you're tracking with me, this is the birth of what we know today as white guilt. And I'm not defending being white or, or, or opposing being white. I'm just saying this idea of getting white people to think that they're wrong because they're white is a communist idea from the 1980s. I'll continue. The first of the most accommodationist-minded national minorities to the party building movement in work in the trade unions, the black worker who is immediately striking up a relationship with a given white communist is sought out. If there's an absence of criticism about that particular white communist's racism, so they're seeking out specific types of national minorities here, those that are not ambivalent to the racist of a white communist, racism of a white communist. I'll continue. If the black person seems to, quote, appreciate the attention by the white communist and makes no demands on the white communist's practice in the relation to the struggle against racism, he or she is viewed as advanced. On the other hand, a national minority who does not show interest in developing a personal relationship with the white communist is not particularly flattered by their attention, is immediately viewed as hostile. Their words, not mine. The weakness of a former black worker are virtually ignored and they are judged solely on their strengths, even if they're manufactured. Essential to this practice is the culturing of accommodation to racism. The purpose is to build a non-struggle, paternal relationship with national minorities by convincing them that, quote, we are not like other white people, end quote. That's a quote within the text that I'm quoting. A consistent form of this is the immediate involvement of the white person in the personal life national minority. Exaggerated concern is expressed over domestic, financial, and any personal problem. Every political statement of the national minority is treated as if it were profound, regardless of whether or not it's correct or common knowledge. In some communist organizations, National minority comrades were made cell chairs when they did not even agree with the party building. The national minority in this situation views this non-struggle relationship, sugar-coated with, quote, concern for their personal problems, as political respect rather than recognize that it represents anything but that. This is the final thought from this article. The use of national minorities as overseers is another component of white communists defending themselves against the correct criticisms of racism. This metaphor is drawn from the slave experience of Afro-Americans where a passive slave was used to keep down unruly slaves. Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. 
Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. I mean, does it get more blatant than this? They know they're racist. They cover up their racism by befriending African-Americans that are willing to allow them to extend the olive branch and are willing to say, hey, maybe you're not a racist. And they do this. Again, I'm going to quote it one more time because to me, this is so profound. Essential to this practice is the culturing of accommodation to racism. The purpose is to build a non-struggle paternal relationship with national minorities by convincing them that we are not like other white people. Sound familiar? A consistent form of this is the immediate involvement of the white person in the personal life of the national minority. Exaggerated concern is expressed over domestic, financial, and any personal problem. Every political statement of the national minority is treated as if it were profound, regardless of whether or not it's correct or even common knowledge. That's disgusting to patronize a people that way, to take advantage of a people that way, all so that they can promote the idea that racism equates to capitalism. Therefore, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. You shouldn't be a go-getter. You shouldn't open your own business, but you should be a worker and you should be entitled to the ownership of your work and the owner, a part ownership of the company someone else built on their dime with their risk and their ingenuity. This backward system of thinking has been decades in the making. And I know that was a little tangential, but I thought it was so important to understand why we have these organizations, why they go to the lengths they go to, why they're tearing things down, why they're agitating and inciting violence in these riots. This is why, because they want to continue to enslave people who they call national minorities and develop, quote, paternal relationships with them to care about problems and treat them as profound, even if they don't give a damn because they're fake, they're phony, they're frauds. It's literally communist teaching that we see in labor unions, that we see in these crazy groups that are organizing. I could talk about this for days, but I want to get to George Floyd audio and so you could hear a little bit about that and hear from Mayor Rudy Giuliani on his thoughts on how we could make this a lot better and we could have shut this down from day one. Keep it locked. I'm Rich Valdez. You're listening to This Is America. This is America. All right, New York, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez at Rich Valdez on Twitter and Parler or Parlay, however you want to pronounce that. We're on there, too, so give us a shout. But I want to get into the uh, conversation with New York City. We're 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. Check this out. Governors and mayors all across everywhere are speaking out about George Floyd, who was killed. And I think to myself... How many of us know who this guy is? We never knew who he was. We do know that the cop that killed him and him had a working relationship because they both worked at a club in the southern part of Minneapolis. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions that remain to be seen about this. But one thing that we do know is George Floyd in his own words. And I want you to listen to this. Check this out. Nikki from South Lawn lost her son, man. Our young generation is clearly lost, man. Clearly lost, man. Like, like, I don't even know what to say no more, man. Like, you youngsters just going around, just busting guns, in crowds, kids getting killed. You know, and it's clearly the generation after us, man, that's so lost, man. You know, man, 
I came back to Houston and told me, yeah, Florida, that young truth man right there because he could bust a gun. Man, I knew it was crazy. My age saying this here, man. You know what I'm saying? And condoning this, bro. You know what I'm saying? And like half them young shooting them guns go home and they knees shaking at night. But they don't show it to nobody because, you know, they ain't tough then. Hey, man. Come on home, man. One day it's going to be you and God. You going up or you going down. Remarkable. This is a good guy, right? He's literally talking about the youth. He said, it's clear that the generation after ours, that's lost. He had youth that he was trying to speak to, to mentor to. He had a passion for this, a passion for their future. By all intents, a decent guy. He didn't say anything where he go torch the police station. He didn't say, let's go here and kill the cops. He didn't say any of that. Matter of fact, he said, we shouldn't be shooting guns. These guys are out there thinking the gangsters shooting guns and their knees are still wobbling at night. Here's a guy who knew better. And he was trying to teach better and tell better and do the right thing. I tell you, this thing, I mean, a lot of times you see these police shootings and people jump to conclusions. And having had some police training in my previous life, I get it oftentimes from a different perspective. And I see it and I go, yeah, nah, they walked into to a mess right there. The bad guys were looking for it. And mo- most of the time they are. Because I'd say 99% of the cops I've, I've, 100% of the cops I've ever personally known have always been good people. And every now and again you see a guy like this guy that may have gone too far, not may have gone, that went too far with George Floyd. But the point here is that George Floyd is a human being. And things didn't go well for him. But that doesn't stop the politicians from blowing a gasket and to start trolling. So I want you to listen to we have some audio from Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, from Chicago. And I got to tell you, it's really disappointing. It's disappointing that they want to blame Trump. But then they say things like this that are incredibly divisive. Check this out. This is Mayor Lori Lightfoot. His goal is to polarize, to destabilize local government and inflame racist urges. And we can absolutely not let him prevail. And I will code what I really want to say to Donald Trump. It's two words. It begins with F and it ends with U. I will not remain silent while this man cynically tries to turn this incredibly painful moment into one for his own political gain. Listen, I don't know who's worse, Mayor Bill de Blasio and the stupidities that he mentioned earlier, or this woman. Today, it's definitely this lovely woman, Lori Lightfoot. And I say lovely because if you've seen a picture of her, you'll understand what I mean. This woman is way beyond the pale. Por favor, I think she's really losing it. She's losing it, and please... Uh, don't take this the wrong way, but she really should be uh, talked to. Somebody should guide her. Somebody should say, hey, listen, lady, you're scoring points like an activist, but you're an elected official. And I get it. There's, I guess the lines have been blurred. And in the next segment, we're going to hear from America's mayor, former New York City mayor, Rudy Giuliani. And he's going to tell us a little bit about how the response to this has been and how it could be improved. And just we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of everything. Keep it locked right there. You're listening to This Is America. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. We are here 17 floors above Madison Square Garden with none other than one of our favorite mayors from the city of New York, America's mayor, 
He is the attorney to President Trump. When Trump got into trouble, he called this guy to help get him out of impeachment. When New York was in trouble, they called this guy. And when I've got questions about the Insurrection Act of 1807, the National Guard and all this rioting, I call this guy. He's the host of Uncovering the Truth on WABC, and that's tomorrow, folks. So make sure you don't miss that. Please welcome Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Thank you, Rich. Terrible time, but a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, amen to that. So last night, our city got hit. Brooklyn got hit. There's stuff going on. Right now, our buddy Curtis Sliwa, he's down there at the protest now. I'm waiting for him to get back to me with an update of what's going on. But I know 200 people were arrested in New York. Last night. Last night. The pictures pictures I got, Rich, are... are, Well, tell us about them. I mean, we're on radio, so be as descriptive as you can be. Several several, uh, uh, squad cars completely burned. One police lieutenant bloodied. Wow. Horribly bloodied. Had to go to the hospital. Uh, a number, a number hit hit with cans and bricks. Uh, it was much worse, of course, than the press displayed it in New York. But of course, nothing like uh, uh, Minneapolis, which looked like a war zone. I mean, they're burning, they're burning the darn city down. Yeah, and, the mayor, and, and, and the just mayor, to and the chime mayor in, governor show up uh, this morning. Yeah, they're saying. I mean, where that, were they hiding last night? <laughs> well, I, somebody, either the the public or their conscience, has finally pushed their hand to say, "Hey, we need more than just the national guard here it was, it, looking it intimidating. We need help." It was all over the country. I mean, don't, don't these cities have mayors? I mean, I did this job. That would never have happened. In well, give city. them some advice. I sir. mean, I'm not. I'm not even uh, uh, worried about. I'm not bragging. I'm not boasting. Uh, that that couldn't have happened in New York City when I was the mayor. It just would not have happened. The, f- the first person that threw a brick would have gotten arrested. The second person would have got arrested. The third one would have. And I would have arrested a whole damn group if I had to and put them on an island. I mean, I'd Rikers my, Island. I put them on Rikers Island. I put them on. <laughs> I had an island. I had an island all set for uh, people that had smallpox. I'd have put them there. It, didn't ma- it doesn't matter. You don't get to do that. And when the mayor gave up the police precinct, this whole thing went bonkers for the whole country. It emboldened I mean, guy, the enemy. That guy should be impeached. No to question. Call the, to call the police and tell the police they should abandon a police station, first of all, it completely empowered the thugs and the rioters and the killers and, and the uh, looters and the people who want to steal television in Minnesota. And it, and it it completely it completely uh, legitimatized all of the people out the country who want to do that, both the organized groups, and there are organized groups that do this, and then the groups that want to join them. You can't give up a police precinct. The police fleeing in fear. I think it's a terrible look, and Trump, it really it gives fuel to the fire. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna make a partisan point because it's worth making. Has to do with our future. It was all democratic cities and so-called progressive de- democratic mayors who have no ability to protect their people. And we saw they the are, same they, thing in D.C., another blue city. Uh, let's, when, name, let's name the cities. Mm-hmm. New York, you got de Blasio, worthless. D.C., you got another progressive dem- Democrat. Chicago, you got a, a mayor who's, you know, worries about getting her hair done. But won't let other people get their hair done. I mean, complete unreal nitwit. I wouldn't touch her hair. Uh, Los Angeles. I mean, that's a mayor. I mean, they, they can't. If you can't protect your own city, you should resign. You should you should give the job to somebody. One one of the primary things when you take an oath of office is you swear to protect the people. And if you can't protect the people. 
you're not capable of doing the job of mayor or governor. Now, in, 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 in Minnesota, they got a combination that's worthless. I mean, the governor is hiding somewhere. The mayor's hiding somewhere. And Kolbachar looks like she's the person who let this cop get away with it earlier in his career. But nobody wants to say that because she's a, a Democrat. So, Mayor, Kobachar what role a, does the... Whole, I'm sorry, go ahead. Record. Kobachar had a whole record that was brought out during the, during, during the primary campaign, like about a dozen or more cases where she is alleged to have tanked cases on cops. And one of them involves this guy who we watched, who never should have been a cop. And number two, it betrayed horrible training. So I've talked to my police commissioners, and tomorrow I'm going to be on with Bernie Carrick. This never would have happened. It couldn't have happened. First of all, the cop standing by would have stopped the cop who was obviously in the midst of killing the guy on the ground. He would have stopped him. Number two, if he didn't stop him, one of the other two cops would have. And finally, by the time we got there, a commanding officer would have been on the scene. Because the minute we had any kind of an incident like that, the reason you have a commanding officer is to get him to a situation like that so he can guide a lower-ranking police officer. Now, speaking of that guidance, uh, I know that they're they're bringing in the National Guard, and I really want to get uh, you know whatever experience you can share with the National Guard coming into these situations. Yeah. What does that look like, and how? What can here, here, we look forward to expect? Looks like. It looks like the people who govern those cities and states should resign because they can't do it. I never had to ask for the for the National Guard except once, nine eleven, and I had I had some very serious police shootings that led to very, very large, peaceful demonstrations. And I had inherited a city that in two out of three years had two major riots in Washington Heights and a pogrom in, in Crown Heights. Mm-hmm. And I had no riots in eight years. And I never needed a National Guard to help me stop a riot. You, now, do I think they need the National Guard? Yeah, absolutely. But it's because they are inept they're incompetent, and their policies have led to this situation. The policies of letting people out of prison, the policies of no bail, the criticism of the Criminal Justice Act of 1994, which helped to reduce crime probably in half, the being friendly with criminals. They, they are much more concerned about the rights of criminals than they are protecting society. And that's true of every single one of those stupid progressives. Every single one of you. We think de Blasio is terrible. They're all like him. Birds of a feather. And I've got to tell you one thing. You just got a view of what America will be like a year from now if you elect that, if you elect that idiot in the basement. <laughs> because they will, be, they will be running America. I mean, he wants to put Kobachar on. Kobachar is part, part of the Minnesota problem. And of course, you're talking about uh, former VP Biden. Is that his name? Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> he wouldn't remember it. So he why wouldn't. should I remember it? He thought he was running against himself the other day when he said, I can beat Joe Biden. <laughs> or when he said Trump would win a few months ago. <laughs> oh, Trump would win and yeah, I can beat Joe Biden. I have the record to beat Joe Biden, quote. Because <laughs> the media doesn't even, doesn't even pay attention to that. But go back. You can go on my Twitter page and you can find it. I have it sitting right there. Now, speaking I of Joe Biden. to beat Joe Biden. Tell us a little bit about uncovering the truth and what you focus on on that special that you're doing on Sundays. The truth is I I try to 
I try to counter the Sunday morning talking head talk shows on TV, which is filled with just kind of blabber from Washington, where I know I can look at it, have the sound off, and I know what each one of the talking heads is saying. <laughs> so why do I have to watch it? So what I try to do is I try to counter it with, let's really examine a problem and let's get people involved in calling in and asking the questions that the talking heads ask on TV. So tomorrow I'm going to have Bernie Carrick with me. And we're going to go through what happened and how it would have been handled when I was the mayor, he was the police commissioner. How, how it would have been done. Because uh, I've, went, I've, I've handled maybe 50 of these, 60 of these. Uh, I wasn't hiding somewhere, and I didn't show up the next morning. And the police commissioner had clear orders on how it had to be done. And we practiced this. We would have tabletop exercises, practicing what would happen if we had a hostage situation. What would happen in a terrorist situation? When would we use force? We had a situation once in which a guy went into a mosque and he was shooting people. And the new police commissioner at the time called me and said, there was a policy about not going into mosques. And I said, well, the policy just changed. We just changed the policy. You're going into the mosque and you're getting the guy out. You don't get to shoot in a mosque. I mean, there's no, there's no such thing as sanctuary. That's a ridiculous middle-aged concept. There's no such thing as sanctuary under the law. It may have helped that I was a lawyer and a prosecutor, but a mayor at least should have somebody next to him who can give him that kind of advice. 100%. But I mean, I, I can't tell you the disrespect I have for the people who govern the cities that let this happen. I have no respect for them at all. And I think they should find something else to do with their lives than to be entrusted with protecting the lives of other people. Because last night they did a horrible job of it. And it really is because of the ridiculously silly, stupid, pandering political philosophy they have. And pandering to the left hurts us in so many ways. We appreciate you joining us today, okay. Mayor. That's America's Mayor, Mayor Rudy Giuliani. And thanks again for joining the show, sir. Rich, you do a great job. All right, America, that's all I've got for now. And like I always tell you, my favorite quote from Hamilton, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And like Sir Edmund Burke always said, the only thing that's necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you, me, and everybody else listening to sit there and do nothing. So do something, read something, know something, take action, because this is your country. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC. We are professional grade.